Welcome in, welcome in, welcome in episode 56 of the Dynasty Debates, the best kept secret in all of Dynasty Fantasy Football. I am your humble host, as always, Evan Brown. You can catch me on Twitter at FFEvanLution, the humblest host in the biz, some say. You can follow the show, Dynasty Debates, and you can also drop me an email, DynastyDebates at gmail.com. So there's many ways to get in touch if you have any questions or comments about the show, the series, what you like, what you don't like. If you've been following the show at all in the last couple months, you know we've been doing a series called Building the Big Board. So we are getting you ready for those rookie drafts, two prospects at a time, dropping multi-episodes a week, shorter episodes, more digestible, so it's not you're not going to have to devote an hour of your time each episode. But before we hit quarterbacks, because we've already hit tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, before we hit, to, hit the quarterbacks, we're going to hit those next week right before the draft, but we're going to do a three-round rookie mock. So we're going to put into practice some of the stuff we've been talking about, and for that exercise. I have a really special guest who stopped by. He was kind enough to donate some of his time. It is the one and only Jacob Sanderson at FF underscore RTDB. He is an lead analyst over at Roto Underworld Player Profiler. He is the co-founder of Dynasty Tilt Podcast and an analytical guru. So he loves the numbers. He loves the spreadsheets. And he's going to give us a little insight into his takes and his the way he looks at these sort of things. So we're going to have to do a little bit of a chat here at the start um, of the episode. And then we're going to dive into round one of the rookie draft, give you an idea where those picks might just land. I have a special, special guest, as I alluded to there in the intro. It is none other than Jacob Sanderson himself. He is co-founder, co-founder, I should say, of the Dynasty Tilt podcast, and he's lead analyst at Roto Underworld, also known as Player Profiler. Uh, Jacob, before we go any further, how the heck are you, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Um, happy to happy to be chatting. It's like the best time of the year. It's Christmas, you know. Uh, everybody's doing rookie prep. Excited for the draft coming up soon. And specifically this year, I feel like I'm more excited for the draft than I've ever been. I feel like my takes are kind of softer this year than they were last year. Like I don't like I don't even have like a, a surefire far and away like wide receiver one necessarily. Uh, I kind of like a lot of these guys and I'm just excited to see where everybody lands. Like I, I feel like I have less at stake. So it's going to be really fun to watch this process play out. Yeah, definitely. No, I really like this class. I've really, really has grown on me. Um, I, I came into it, you know, obviously fairly skeptical just because you hear all the buzz about what a terrible class it is and all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. But I've been fairly pleasantly surprised, especially at the wide receivers. And I feel like the tight end class is pretty deep as well, actually, with some interesting dudes. Yeah, um, tight end so, is going to be fun this year. And I think like really affordable too in the late second, early third. I'm, I'm excited to draft some tight ends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, definitely 100%. But a very interesting thing um, that, well, there's many interesting things. Obviously, Jacob is an analytical dude. So I have not only had Peter Howard on, a super smart dude. Now I've got Jacob on another. So, so I'm not doing so well. I'm not looking very smart, but that's okay because it's making me smarter having these guys on and it's hopefully making you guys smarter as well. But another really fun little fact about Jacob is he's actually from the great state of Canada. Obviously, it's not a state. I know I'm joking, um, but I do have a couple questions here that we have to clear up some really important issues, burning, pressing questions before we go any further. Is that okay? Yeah, please. Let's hear him. So first and foremost, the great Canadian quiz. Um, oh gosh, do they still the have... Loonies. 
Yeah, we still have loonies, absolutely. And uh, for anyone listening, lo loonies are not crazy people. That is our our well, one dollar coin. Well. We have loonies, and then and then if you uh, have a little bigger coin, it's a toonie. I did not know that. Really? Well, yeah. No, See, our I've one dollar coin is something. a loonie, and our two dollar coin is the toonie. Well, there you go. Think. Already, so Looney Tunes, sort of. Yeah, exactly. Looney Tunes. So my next question is very important, very hard-hitting question. Um, analysis is needed on this. Do you feel any sort of remorse or conviction for having a K in Jacob, or are you just an anarchist who likes to watch the world burn? So it's funny. My my mom used the K when when they had me because they thought they'd call me Jake most of the time. And then I don't really like being called Jake and no one ever called me Jake except for like I have one uncle that has. So pretty much uh, the reason for the K was very purposeless <laughs> almost entirely. <laughs> but then it became funny because I have blonde hair. It's rather long. Uh, and so people like see the K and they're like, oh, is it Jakob? <laughs> and it's like, no, it's not. It's just Jacob. So, uh, so I like you're it. Swedish or something. Yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, I, I've grown accustomed to the K. I like the K. Um, but, uh, it's definitely, it definitely does not serve the purpose that was initially intended to. I don't know why I don't like Jake. There's nothing like wrong with the name Jake. I just don't like it. It's not fancy enough. Yeah. If Jake S is listening to the show, I, you have a great name, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, Jake Charbed, shout out. Good guy. Yeah. Him too. <laughs> um, we, uh, so now that you're on the show, obviously you're part of the family now. I mean, that that's, you know, can be what you mean. It can be one of those families that you don't talk to in public. You only see at weird family reunions, but since you're part of the, the dynasty debates family here, I think, I feel like I need to come up with like a nickname or something like that for you. What about, cause obviously you don't like Jack, which is fair enough. I understand that. Um, what about then Sanderson is your surname. What about the Sandman? I'm okay with the Sandman. I think Sandman? there's a few Sandmans out there, but I'm good with the Sandman. Because you, you always you always find all those sleepers. Is that a good, <laughs> I'm dig, I'm digging good nickname for you? So yeah, I'm, I'm digging through the sand. I'm trying to find find the diamonds. Like I said, really smart dude. Does a lot of work over at Player Profiler, which is a great website. If you have never checked it out, definitely check it out. Super, super fun to play around on and just look at the different like sort of uh, analytical backgrounds and thresholds for the different players and sort of look at their um, their stats and their figures and things like that. But what is so just tell me a little bit about your background, like sort of how did you get into, because I mean, am I right in saying you're sort of training, you're, you're going to school at the moment, trying to basically change the world through law? Is that correct? I don't know about change the world, but maybe I, I am in law school. I'm a second year law student. Um, I'm working at a clinic term right now. So it's been a busy time of year for sure. Um, it's like I'm, I'm kind of going nine to five and then uh, and then pretty much whenever I can get a chance at night to do a little work on, on the fantasy stuff, that's that's immediately where my, my heart goes. So. Uh, it's been a busy time of the year leading up to the draft. I'm kind of looking forward to like after the draft where I'm going to try and take a little bit of a step back from my podcasting schedule because like there's not really much going on in May and June and stuff. So I'm kind of excited to take a little bit of a breather. But uh, right now it's been a fun grind. And yeah, it's been the interesting thing too. It's like people always ask me these legal questions whenever players get into uh, trouble, be it Camara or the Wad situation, whatever. And like, I can provide a little bit of help, but I'm Canadian. So like, I, I don't know that much about American criminal law. Uh, so it's always funny when I get those questions. Cause I'm like, I can guess, but I don't really know. <laughs> that is funny. How did you get into sort of like working for, with like player profiler and all that kind of stuff? Like, what was that journey like for you? Man. So I, it was, it was definitely not like an intentional journey even at all from the start. So initially, uh, me and, and my buddy Tom, who uh, is my co-host on the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast, we were just podcasting, like making fun of our home league in Winnipeg for a while with our other buddy Austin. 
And then eventually um, we got another league with Billy, who's our other co-host. And so we started kind of doing a fun thing just about our league. And then COVID hit. We were like, well, you know, we have like a lot of spare time. Let's just do a regular, you know, normal podcast. We did that for a while. And I got on Twitter and ended up um, uh, Fantasy Intervention at the time was was launching and they were looking for writers. And so I, I got approached to go and do some stuff with them and wrote a few articles, had a few bylines. And then like I had always like uh, listened to like Player Profilers podcast. I, I was a subscriber to their site. And yeah, one time I, I literally just emailed Matt out of the blue like um, Fantasy Mansion, for anyone who doesn't know his actual name. Um, and uh, yeah, and I emailed him out of the blue and just said like, hey, I listened to this snippet on your podcast. I think you said like some pretty similar stuff to some stuff I was saying in my article. Um, I think I'd be a good fit with your site and, I, and I'd fit like the kind of work you guys produce. Let me know. And so yeah, he took me on as a junior writer, um, wrote some interesting enough stuff that uh, they ended up um, putting promoting me up to lead analyst. And so I've been writing some kind of interesting stuff for them now over the last while. So I wrote, I wrote a lot of DFS content for them, mostly in season and then off season. Um, I'm doing a, a column right now called thinking about thinking where it's just sort of baseline strategy type stuff. So I, I have two editions out so far. The first one is all about, uh, well, what we're going to talk about a little bit today, which is about, you know, what the purpose of analytics-based prospecting is trying to do, some of the differences between like the assumptions that go into analytics-based prospecting and, and film-based prospecting and and sort of where, where what the goals are and, and how these turn into massive wars in the Twitter streets. And then um, my, my last one is about ranges of outcomes. And like when people say that term, what does it actually mean? How are they distributed? What are the types of distributions that we see in the fantasy space? And I talk specifically about for young players, when situational factors change, how the market perceives those and, and why those get a little bit overrated in the market, either negatively or positively, based on how those ranges of outcomes for those players are actually created. Nice. Yeah. Like I've definitely read a couple of your articles, really, really uh, insightful, really well written. It's been really interesting just even in this process. Um, been doing this building the big board sort of process since the start of March, breaking down players and having different guests on. And a lot of them are film based. A lot, some of them have been analytical based. And it's been really interesting. Like I had Alfred uh, Fernandez from Campus to Canton mm, on, yeah, Peter Howard on. on. Um, and, you know, it was really, really fun to talk to them and pick their brains. And I like the way that they sort of explain similar to what you're saying it's like you know using analytics not to tell you this is the best person this is the second best but to help almost weed out the bad so it's not yeah. necessarily even like using analytics really to pick true. the right one it's like using it to weed out the bad ones or the bad bets or like the ones who are less likely to hit or less likely um and then trying to like narrow it down from there so absolutely and i think you know, me, my process is like mostly film based, but then I certainly take analytic stuff into perspective, not so much, you know, like as deep down the rabbit hole as you or Peter Howard or one of these guys goes, but I definitely lean on your guys' thought process and understanding and look at things like thresholds for like athletic profiles and things like that, you know, because um, I find it really helpful when people use both one of the reasons why i actually started my show is because i wanted to have different people on i mean that's even just the logo is like the film mm. versus the analytics you know like it's it's this idea of you know let's get the best of both worlds one of the things i was curious about because i know for people who will look at film a lot of times they say oh man quarterbacks are the hardest to break down like they're the absolute hardest to yeah. try and figure out because there's so much more to it and there's a real like mental element that you almost can't quantify by just looking at film um but from an analytics perspective are there any specific positions that you find really difficult to scout or to kind of break down or the ones on the other side of that are there ones that you really love and you're like oh i just love breaking down running backs and figuring out what i like or don't like or whatever 
Yeah, I mean, like the closest thing we have to a solved position, and nothing is solved, but the closest thing we have to a solved position is receiver. Like there's just it's it's the easiest to judge receivers by the numbers because it's the only position where you're competing with the same players at the same position for volume, right? And so like because fantasy is a volume game, right? At, at all positions, fantasy is a volume game. But the question is like who's going to be able to earn the volume? And with receiver, it's just the easiest to be able to translate this player is going to earn volume in the pros because for the most part, players who don't earn volume in college just don't earn volume in the pros. And it's just easier to see that at receiver because you have to pass some sort of base level of talent to be able to out-target the players on your own team, right? Because you have to be better than the players on your own team to out-target the players on your own team. And then once the defense knows that you're the best player on your team, they're going to cover you and you have to continue to earn targets after that. And so like even beyond all the other arguments that people make about target competition, what year you're in, like just at a base level, you have to have a base level of talent to be able to earn volume at the highest rate on your team, or at least at a high rate on your team. And that's why wide receiver is the easiest, you know, and then we sort of get to break down from there. Like, okay, at what age did these players start actually being productive? At what year did they start being productive? Um, and with wide receiver, like in general, the NFL then kind of rules out the producers who won't be good with draft capital, right? So like I always say, like Peter Howard talked, uh, you said that Peter Howard talked about this, where it's better at weeding out the bad than it is at telling us the good. Like what at this stage of the process, what the analytical data can tell us on wide receivers is who will be good if they get drafted high. And not necessarily who will be good, but who profiles like wide receivers who have been successful if they get drafted high. And so, you know, with guys like Burks and London and Wilson, um, you know, who are and Sky Moore is another one, you know, who are all going to probably get drafted the first day of the draft, maybe the second. Like we can be pretty confident in those picks. They're probably not all going to hit. Those are guys who profile like players who traditionally hit. And then you have interesting cases like a David Bell and a Wandale Robinson who look like players who produce a lot for fantasy if they get drafted high. But the NFL might tell us, no, these guys are missing whatever qualities are necessary to play in the NFL that go beyond their production. And they might get drafted on, in round four, round five. And at that point, you know, we don't really care about them because most players who get drafted on day three, there's not really any signal between their statistical profile anymore at that point. Once they've been drafted at that point, they're usually just bad. And it's not like the good analytical prospects drafted day three traditionally hit at that much higher of a rate than like the bad analytical prospects. Hardest is absolutely quarterback just because so much so much of it is so different with scheme so much of it is so different with um uh with like what offense you're trying to run what level of competition you're at who you have on your team it's just like what we're trying to do the best we can is to isolate you know the individual players play from their situation and with wide receiver we can do that primarily by how they earn targets because you have easily three four five other people on a route every play you know with running back we can look at how they did compared to other running backs on their team. Did they earn the, all the carries and all the targets compared to the other running backs on their team? That's just something in and of itself. But with quarterback, like you can't really isolate them from every, anything because they are everything. So quarterback to me like becomes a lot of just do they run and do they get draft capital? Because if they run and they get draft capital, then the ceiling is higher, the floor is higher. And so that just tends to be where I end up focusing. No, that's interesting though. There's, there's that crossover as well in analytics and film then as well with quarterbacks being so difficult to kind of 
figure out. That has been a lot of fun. We're going to transition now. I want to do something we haven't done yet in the process, and we're going to actually do a rookie draft. So we are going to cover off a three-round rookie draft here. It's just going to be me and the Sandman here. We're going to take turns, um, just literally back and forth, taking turns, taking players, um, sort of at this moment in time, obviously it's pre-draft. We don't know draft capital like we've just talked about for 20 minutes about how important draft capital is. So for the exercise, we'll just assume best case scenario for for all these players, you know, sort of we'll assume that, you know, uh, Garrett Wilson's a first round pick and we'll assume that Traylon Burks is a first round pick and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, And then we'll just kind of go down where we are at with them as players, where we would take them. We'll give you a couple lines, maybe about why we took that player there, where we're at with that player, what we like or don't like about that player. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we'll just have fun with it and see. Hopefully this will be helpful for you guys. Like I said. Jake's a really smart dude. Jacob, apologies. Jacob's a really smart mm-hmm. dude and um, knows his stuff. So it'll be really interesting to hear his picks and sort of give you guys an idea of what you could maybe sort of expect um, in your rookie drafts coming up. So Jacob, what I've been doing most of the time when we've been talking about these prospects is just saying sort of for the context of like a one QB 12 team league, just because I'm mostly playing super flex, but I know that's not really maybe necessarily the norm across everybody's league. Mm-hmm. So um, just figured for the talk's sake, we kind of have been saying a 12 team one qb league so let's try and use that maybe i guess as the format then so we'll not focus too heavily on the quarterbacks um you can sprinkle them in whenever you see fit but as a guest why don't you (laughs) so no no quarterbacks in this draft um so yeah as the guest then why don't you go first here you are up on the clock with the 101 who are you going to start off with yeah well the 101 one qb is a very boring discussion i think it's an interesting discussion in superflex um but in one qb to me it's just like clearly Brees hall uh he's the, pretty much the only running back that checks every box between we know he's going to get drafted highly he has all the athleticism in the world he has a long history of college production both rushing and receiving he has the workhorse size like it's just that it's just the floor is so high on a Brees hall like the, the worst case scenario he's going to get a lot of targets he's going to get a lot of carries and he's going to be fed touches. He's going to score touchdowns. And it's just that easy. Love it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said there, really. I mean, Brees Hall would be would be my RB1 going in. So, yeah, I mean, unless something crazy happens, you know, like you said, unforeseen circumstances, then I can't imagine really arguing with you too much. Um, at the 102, then, I would, I would myself take Kenneth Walker – because I've really, I really, I always liked him, but I've come more and more around on him in the pre-draft process. Just sort of seeing him tick those boxes at the combine with his athletics, with his athletical profile, having seen, because I know there was a lot of concerns. I had concerns about his pass catching or lack of pass catching in college, um, you know, and I've, you know, been able to i've heard a couple of guys and seen a couple of films of like actual like you know practice footage and also stuff you know getting unearthed about him catching passes and looking pretty natural at it obviously that's not as good as doing it in a game but it is what it is we i've heard a i heard a really interesting interview the other day from his coach um you know just saying that it's not that he can't do it like it was literally just they were asking him the question like well why didn't you use him more in the passing game what's the deal there um and his answer was just sort of like that's not our scheme that's not what we do really um in michigan so like that's not it wasn't that he can't do it it's just not that's not the way we play that's not what we're into so you know again it'll be it'll be wait to see um but i think that for me there's only three running backs that i'm really 
considering in the first round of rookie drafts um, this year, really, unless something just insane happens. Even then, I'm not sure about anybody else. I, I would say there's only three running backs, and because it's such a scarce commodity of guys that could very easily project into a potential three-down workload, and, and like you said, I think that's a very valuable commodity in your dynasty leagues, especially for maybe someone like me who more builds their team in the startup through like young receivers. So then you're looking to your rookie drafts to try and get those running backs. So for me, I would probably go Kenneth Walker the third here. Um, and then you're up at the 103. Yeah, if I'm at the 103, I'm either trying to trade back, I think. Um, but if I am there, or sorry, at the 102, I, just, I keep thinking Superflex. I play like only Superflex leagues. That's yeah. why. So I keep thinking the league I know, it's really though. confusing because I only play like Superflex as well. Pretty much I have like one or two one QB leagues, yeah. but I'm just, for the sake of the uh, exercise, I'm trying to adjust in my brain that it's one QB. <laughs> so uh, basically, if, I, if I'm in this situation where it's like Hall is gone, and it's Walker or wide receivers that I'm deciding between. I'm probably looking to trade down first of all because I don't have like any wide receiver that I love that much more than the rest. But I do like the the top crew above Walker. That being said, I'm now at the 103, and I can't trade down because it's a mock draft, so I actually have to pick a wide receiver. <laughs> and uh, if I'm if I have to pick one, it's tough. I, there are four to me that are kind of in a similar tier, but I'm going to pick my personal favorite, which is Drake London um, at the 103. Uh, London is my wide receiver one narrowly. Like it's it's narrowly to the point where, like in one league, if I have one pick at the 103, I'm taking Drake London. That being said, I don't know how the ADP is going to shake out with the landing spots, the draft cap, or whatever. But it's at the point where like I wouldn't do this in every single draft. If if like I don't even think this will be the case. But say London is the consensus wide receiver one off the board. I don't know if that'll happen. But if that was to happen, like I would mix in some Wilson and some Burks to make sure I have equal exposure to all these guys because I, I'm not that confident in London over the rest. But I do like London for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, number one, he's got the alpha size, which of course, it's a nice little bonus off the top. The production profile is fantastic. Uh, he, he had an early breakout despite playing with two other NFLers that we've only got more data on last year that are actually quite good in Pittman and Amonra St. Brown. And then he just has this monster year that got cut short due to injury in, in his third year. And I want to get out in front. There's like this contested catch narrative about him, scheme touch narrative about him. And it's not a narrative. He had a lot of contested catches. My, my big issue with this is like, I think some people don't see the forest through the trees when it comes to data. And people have used percentages as a threshold for when there's like a red flag on contested catches. Like as in, if 27% of your targets are contested, whatever, 25%, 30%, does that make sense? And I think there's a massive hole in this because you're taking a percent of a percent. So you're saying, okay, I don't like wide receivers with over a 25% contest rate. Well, 25% contest rate on 60 targets is massively different than a 25% contest rate on 120 targets, right? So what I would say is, if you think contested catches are worth less, I'm, I'm not convinced that they are, but if you want to make that argument, what you should do instead is just weight them for less and then look at the profile as a whole. Because if Drake London dropped every single contested target he received last year, he still would have had the second most receptions per game in America. Like he had such an obscene amount of work that it's not like he was just jay-jawing it where it was like he was only getting a few catches a game and then he got all these contested targets on top. Like he was just getting a lot of targets in all aspects of the game. And so yes, the contested percentage is higher, but that wasn't all he was doing. He was still like crushing thresholds 
that he needed to crush. So he, he ends up being my wide receiver. Love it. Yeah, I know I'm a big fan of London. He's my uh, wide receiver too, just narrowly. So I'm all about that. I was actually looking forward to drafting him here, but thanks very much for that. Um, so I will go ahead and actually take my wide receiver one then, which is Garrett Wilson, um, just narrowly beating out Drake London for me personally. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's my top top graded wide receiver in the class for so many reasons. Great. Um, he just does everything really, really, really well. I think I talked about that when we broke down Garrett Wilson. He doesn't do any one thing specifically elite, in my opinion. He just does pretty much everything really, really well, which is great. Because um, I feel like with Garrett Wilson, he's one of those guys that, you know, will he become a top, top 12 dynasty wide receiver? I certainly don't know that. I can't say that. But I feel really happy, really confident that he won't be a complete bust. I'd be very, very surprised if he's just like a complete bum at the next level. So I feel like he's got that safety, but he also has a fairly high upside as well, where I don't think you're going to have to worry too much, no matter what team, even if he goes like the Falcons who objectively are terrible team at this moment in time, I still think he's a good enough route runner. He's good enough with the yards after the catch. He's good enough with his hands. He does enough things. Well, he can play in the slot. He can play outside where I'm not concerned about his landing spot. I'm not concerned about, um, you know, I'd be, I, I would, just be i can't even fathom a world where he's not a first round pick um you know even if he was a second round pick he's still a second round pick he's not gonna he's not gonna be in the second or third round um yeah i just think that he's a really safe one of the safest prospects um for wide receivers in this class so i'm really happy if i'm getting him at the at the 104 okay one five back to me i'll try and make this a little faster if we're getting through three rounds (laughs) but um uh well i'm gonna try and see uh, if I can play a little bit of game theory with you, but maybe that maybe it won't work. I'll take Jameson Williams at the one five. Um, so I, I actually like I hate you so much quite a lot. Um, so he's a guy. It's interesting. I like never end up on Bama wide receivers just because like they always go really highly in the NFL draft. They always go really highly in rookie drafts. Their production profiles usually look kind of shaky because there's a million NFL players on their rosters. And usually my stance on Bama wide receivers ends up being. I think they're really good, but there's other players I know are really good. And so rather than playing the guessing game, I'll just take the other really good wide receivers because the opportunity cost is so high. Um, and that's had mixed results. Like Waddle obviously is really good. Smith looks like a really good player. Um, Ruggs, I mean, obviously it became an off-field thing, but it looked like he was certainly not going to play up to his ADP regardless. Um, you know, so kind of goes both ways. Judy, similarly, uh, might you know might have a breakout this year, but certainly has not played up to his ADP to this point. With with Williams, like to me, as one of the better profiles. So what's nice is, yeah, he, he had the late breakout, but James Williams has never like stepped on a college football field and been bad, which I appreciate. Um, he didn't play much at Ohio State, and I do care about that, which is why I would never take him above Garrett Wilson. But uh, like, I kind of understand why he was on the field. Like Chris Olave was already there, and he was already good. I, under, I don't like him as much as Williams as an NFL prospect. But as a college player at the time, he was older, he was more experienced, and he was already good. So they're not going to take him off the field. And then Wilson was a five-star recruit um, in the same class. I understand why you'd play Wilson. I think Wilson's better anyway. So he doesn't get on the field much. Transfers to Alabama, plays next to Mech. He was under NFLer. I kind of met, but NFLer. Uh, and, then, uh, and then he just absolutely dominates, right? And then it seems pretty clear to me, based on just what I've been reading, that he would have been the first wide receiver drafted if he doesn't get hurt and doesn't tear his ACL. And now the NFL is still going to draft him in round one, despite not even potentially being ready to play week one. So I think the kid's a stud. I think he has honestly like as good of a production profile as like all of the recent Alabama wide receivers are better. He's seemingly costing potentially the least among wide receivers compared to these guys. 
Um, and, and like the type of excuses that you have to make for Alabama wide receivers are, are I'm like more inclined to make the type of excuses for Williams, who was just a guy that didn't really get on the field much versus guys who were like on the field running routes and not earning targets. And no, I did a very bad it. job of making that faster, but next time I promise I will. I love I loved uh, Williams to be honest with you. I really, really, really like Williams. So I'm really sad that you've made me do this. Um, but I know what you're trying to do and I'm not going to let you do it Simon, <laughs> because I know that like we talked about, the best thing to do is to manipulate the market. And I know that I'm going to get more for, even if I don't believe in him as much, I'd probably get more for Burks by taking him here and trading him for one of these other guys. I might actually like better. I'll probably get them back plus something else. So in theory, obviously you maybe want to trade back one or two spots here. If you don't believe as highly in Traylon Burks as some people do. Um, and again, I just want to make it really clear. Like I'm not in any way, shape or form saying I don't like Traylon Burks or I think he's a bum or he's, I think he's a bust. It's just, I have more concerns for lack of a better term than maybe some people do a lot of people have them as their number one wide receiver or top mm -hmm. three you know very easily whereas i'm more maybe around the five six range for him um just because of like i said not so much from an analytical perspective i understand he had a great college target share and he produced a lot and he was like the dude and you know arkansas force fed him and i, I love all those things it's just more so you know, for me watching the film and seeing how he won and what he did. And then when you get these lofty comparisons, like to Debo Samuel and all that kind of stuff, I feel like he's almost destined to fail to some extent, just because it's such a high bar that we're setting for him. And then when you see him test and things athletically, he's not at that level of a, of a DK Metcalf or a, a Debo Samuel. Mm. Um, I still think he is really fast. You watch him. You can't, you can't deny the fact that he's really fast. When you watch him on film, you see him burn some DBs. You see him take these 60 yard passes to the house. So I think he definitely, Definitely has skills. I think there's definitely upside, but I think there's more risk than people are maybe wanting to admit um, with his profile. And I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me either way. It doesn't. It wouldn't surprise me if he's a top fifteen pick in the in the NFL draft. But it also wouldn't surprise me if he slides to the very end of the first round, um, you know, or very top of the second round. Do you know what I mean? So for me, I, I'm happy to get him here because, like I said, I think that if I'm getting him here, I'm pretty sure. From what I'm seeing in the market, people are going to be all like knocking on, lining up at my door, <laughs> wanting mm -hmm. to, uh, wanting to trade me their their first and some stuff on top to get to get their hands on him. And uh, again, at this stage, I mean, it's a it's a mid first pick that I'm having to spend up for Traylon Burks, so I'm I'm happy to get him here. Yeah, and to be clear, Traylon Burks is my wide receiver three. Um, we were talking about beforehand, and I know that you had him at uh, your wide receiver five position, so I kind of thought. I have Williams and Burks in the same tier, and then I have a drop-off behind those two. So I, I sort of looked at it as like, man, if there's any chance I could somehow get uh, both of these guys, uh, I'm willing to this risk. This is why you got to know your Williams league mates as well. <laughs> so I looked at it as like my best case scenario is I'm able to get Williams and Burks. Um, and, you know, if he ends up taking Burks, I'm still like, I'm not, I don't like Burks that much over Williams where there's not that much of a difference. So I'm, I'm kind of okay. Um, at least giving myself a chance to get Burks to follow me. Whereas I knew for sure if I took Burks, you're taking Williams. So yeah. uh, now it comes back to me. And this is like the gross part of the draft. This is in Superflex where I just start kind of loading up on some of these quarterbacks, but I, I'm certainly not going to do that in single quarterback. So now I'm delving into my second tier of wide receivers, my second tier of running backs. And I think at this point in time, I think my safest option is going to be to go with Chris Olave who is a guy that I'm not like the biggest fan of. He's just kind of like middling to me. Like, I think he's good. Uh, he broke out early enough. He has production next to two like other first round picks and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith, Ajiba, and then, you know, James Williams kind of was in there. Um, so I think he's good. 
doesn't strike me as an overly high ceiling prospect in the fact that he stayed till senior year. He was getting out targeted by uh, JSN and Wilson this year at times. So I just don't know that he's like a, ever going to be that alpha wide receiver one guy. But at this point in the draft too, or where we don't know what's going to happen with the actual NFL draft, you know, we don't know who's going to have the bottom fall out of their draft capital or their situation, right? I think Alave is a guy who at least is pretty safe to hold his value through to week one and potentially beyond that. And then I'm, he's a guy that I don't mind rostering. And then I'll always be sort of on the lookout to see if I can trade him at some point for maybe a, a, someone that I see as higher ceiling, but worst case, like I, I feel pretty confident that he's a good player and I'm willing to just take a good player. No, I, I really like Olave a lot. I think I agree with you though. I don't think that he's profiles as necessarily an alpha, but I think he could be a really, really good, really solid wide receiver two on a team. And if it's a high power team, then it could still be very good for fantasy. This is a tricky one. Uh, definitely this part of the draft is a little bit tricky. I think, I think I'm going to try what you tried and see, <laughs> see, if, see if I can get, get away with it. I'm going to try. I think I'm going to take Isaiah Spiller here. Um, he's the only other running back that I would be interested in in the first round. I think he's obviously seen his draft draft stock fall a lot, especially in fantasy with like the athletic stuff and everyone's worried about him. But with his production and with what he's actually put on film and put, you know, put on record as what he's produced at a very high level, I'd be still very surprised if he doesn't get, you know, second round, third round draft capital at the worst. Um, and he can catch passes, things like that. So for kind of a later first round pick, you know, to get me another potentially three down back, um, I'll probably look to pull the trigger there. There's a couple other wide receivers that I like, but I'm hoping that you pick, take one of the ones I don't like. Yeah, Spiller is like the guy in my law class who's like, man, what's the curve average? 75? All right, I just got to stay within the curve. He's just getting like a 73 on every test. Like he's just, he's just so like, I actually kind of like, I, I went from being like very like ugh on Spiller to now I think he's almost a value just because he's, he does the things that we need to get fantasy points, but I don't mind it at all here. I, I probably would have taken him. So at this point, yeah, I'm kind of right in the middle of my tier two wide receivers. And I'll take the guy who I think has the best shot at getting drafted uh, in round one among the guys that I like in this tier. And that is the guy I think that you wanted, which is George Pickens. So I'll, I'll be picking Pickens. You suck. I mean, Pickens looked like the wide receiver one in this class after his freshman year. It's, it's kind of weirdly uh, reminds me of Rondell Moore, even though they could not be more different, like from an on the field and height, weight, um, how they win, et cetera. Uh, but he's like Bizarro Rondale in the sense that he was just dominant as a freshman. He was very mediocre as a sophomore. And then he was injured as a junior. And then he's coming out. Um, and he tested like awesome at the combine. So I think that helps quell some of the injury concerns. And if he gets early round two draft capital like Rondale got, I'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, we'll see. I think the, the upside with Pickens is massive and that he looks like an alpha wide receiver tests like an alpha wide receiver at one point in time he produced like an alpha wide receiver i think the floor is pretty scary just because we haven't seen him be a meaningful producer on a football field in over two years and all of his film is from age 18 but if the nfl is willing to draft this guy at the late first early second based entirely off 18 year old tape like who am i to disagree i yeah i'm very very disappointed in you i was hoping you were going to go somewhere else with this because i really love pickens mm -hmm. so this is where i'm going to be i'm going to have to just start reaching a little bit for him i think because i'm almost like hoping that people are going to be down on him and i can get him a little bit later in drafts but it looks like he's you know people are pretty savvy to that uh so let's just check here we are that was the 109 we're at the 110. so 
Yep, we're up to the 110 here, and I think what I'm going to do is stick to my rankings here at this stage, and I'm going to go Jahan Dotson um, because I think he has a solid chance at first-round draft capital. Um, I know you were talking about him a little bit earlier and sort of mm-hmm. saying there's some things you don't like about him, you know, um, just from an analytical perspective, things like that. But I do think he he's a really solid prospect. I think he has the best hands in this class, um, so I think that's really important. He just He can catch pretty much anything you throw at him. So he doesn't need to go to a particularly, um, you know, really sharp quarterback. You know, he can, he could go to, uh, you know, Pittsburgh and, and have uh, Trubisky throwing him the ball and he'd probably still be all right. So he just does a lot of things really well. He's sort of like, you know, and I'm not saying from a play style, but I just, I think of him as like a poor man's Garrett Wilson in the sense of like, there's not any one particular thing that I think he stands out with other than he's really good hands. Um, but I just think he does everything really well. He's good, a good yak. He's good with his contesting catches for his size he's a good route runner he's got good burst i mean he just does a lot of things really well and if you couple that with the first round draft capital he then will have probably what we're assuming is really good um you know really really good opportunity so mm-hmm. for me at this end of the draft to get somebody who could get first round capital and things like that i'd be pretty happy to get him at the 110 yeah dotson sits right now with my wide receiver eight and just at the end of my tier two and i'll take the guy that i have uh, actually, I actually have this guy all the way up at wide receiver five. It's just that I didn't think that you would take him. So I've been taking the other guys in his tier, but I will take Sky Moore with the 111 from Western Michigan. Uh, I mean, he just, he looks like everything that you want from an analytical perspective. He has the early breakout. He has the early production. He has the early declare. Yeah, it came in Western Michigan, but most guys who do that at Western Michigan don't declare early because they don't get the draft capital. And he's going to get the draft capital, it looks like. Uh, I've even seen some late first buzz. I don't really believe that. But I think that he will go in round two. And that's fantastic. Players with his production profile that go in round two tend to hit at like a 75% rate. Uh, that's usually like, I mean, I'm part of the Bulletproof Discord. And Sky Moore will most certainly be Bulletproof. Probably one of just two Bulletproof prospects this entire class, along with Drake London. Um, based on how sort of weird some of these production metrics are for some people. So... Big fan of Sky Moore, uh, pumped to get him uh, here at the 111. And now it's going to get a little bit sketchy for me. Oh, <laughs> after, man, I'm, after more. I, I'm very sad because I love Sky Moore. I feel like, again, him and George Pickens are guys that I'm like hoping that people are not wise to. But then, like we talked about, unfortunately, everybody's smart these days and like everybody's seeing like the, the quote unquote sleepers or not sleepers, but you know what I mean? The lesser heralded prospects or mm-hmm. something like that, especially once they get that draft capital, like we're hoping and assuming that they do. I've realized that I'm just a sucker for a uh, wide receiver with a surname Moore. So DJ. Sky, Elijah, sign me up. Any more is good for me. Um, So at the 112, yeah, this is interesting. So for me, this has got to the stage where I am going to take a player that I think is going to be pretty controversial for a lot of people, you know, just because... I tend to look at upside, especially once you get past the quote unquote sure things. Um, and I think by this stage, we've got past the the sure things. You know, we're just sort of looking at like the various levels of safety, various levels of upside. So for me, I'm going to take somebody who I really, really, really like and I believe in personally, um, one of my guys, and that is Christian Watson. Mm. So um, I know this is a little bit rich for some people. You know, a lot of people are more comfortable with them in the second round, high to mid second round. But for me, He's a little bit longer shot. I understand that because of the FCS school, things like that. But I feel like with his size, 
with his athleticism, with um, the stuff that I've seen from him on film, the variety of usage that he brings to the table. He's not a one-trick pony. He can be used in the slot. He can be used in the return game. He can be used out wide. He can be used in jet sweeps. He's got great yards after the catch ability. He's got great body control. He's really able to... He's he's better route runner than I thought he was. He showed that off at the Senior Bowl. He's an athletical freak. I feel like he's got a really solid... I mean, especially if he gets that second round draft capital i'm really comfortable that he's going to be a contributor and i think he has a lot higher ceiling than some of these guys that we might draft a little bit later that is the first round in the bag apologies it was a slightly longer episode than you've been used to lately but i wanted to capture some of that conversation we had at the start it was really fun and i thought there were some really useful nuggets and then obviously we got the little bit of a breakdown of pick by pick which again i think is useful hopefully you did but join us tomorrow for round two I drive zero RB in Dynasty. Pass up a young receiver? Nah, I couldn't be mean. My fifth wide receiver, and it's only round seven. Not sure if I'm dead, cause I think this is heaven. Now forget what he said, and listen to me. What you really wanna do is stack those RBs. You can be Linda, just let me be frank. Those RBs on your roster is money in the bank. One says it's awful, the other says it's great. It's time to buckle in for a Dynasty debate.